To understand the multi-trillion dollar force that is ESG, it is necessary to get under the hood and look at some of the big challenges ahead. Everything from the greenwashing of ESG performance to the integrity of data to tracing all the way up and down the supply chain to see how ESG performance truly manifests itself. It's a big, big series of hurdles ahead. Well, to help us make sense of all of that and talk about how her financial institution is making a difference, we have Aiko Yamashita, the chief data scientist at DNB Bank, headquartered in Oslo, Norway, here on Dave and Darm Demystify. From the studios of NMD Plus in the UK and US comes the Dave and Darm Demystify show. Dave and Darm Demystify Show, making sense of the world of fintech and digital finance. Sit back and listen as the two Ds take a subject and chat it through to make it clearer and easier to understand. And now, here are your hosts, Dave Wallace and Darm Mystery. Demystify. Welcome everybody to the Dave and Darm Demystify Show. And today we have a very special guest, Aiko Yamashita. Hello, Aiko. Hello, Dave and Armes. Hello, hi, hi, hi. Welcome. We'd love to get a little bit of introduction on yourself and the bank. That'd be great. Absolutely, absolutely. So I'll start talking a bit about DMB. That's basically the largest bank in the Nordics, if you consider the operation size. We have more than 2 million customers over Norway. We have, I think, over 200,000 corporate customers and we have I think over 9,000 employees I think way more and we are operating actually globally we have 17 offices around the globe and basically we do everything from offering market products to retail banking corporate banking asset management and insurance so we do have a wide range of services as for me I'm a principal data scientist at DMB, and currently I'm leading the ESG data task force, which has been established this year in order to basically tackle urgent matters in terms of ESG reporting that is coming from the EU and also the regional regulators side. But not only for that, because I think DMB has a very ambitious uh, sustainability strategy and the core of it. We need to work very systematically and efficient and future-proof in terms of um, ESG data and analytics. And for that, we have established this task force, and we are currently working on developing our ESG data hub, which is going to serve the entire corporate. So can I ask, how long has the task force existed? And you talk about urgency around the matter as well. So... When did DMB really look at this as something that it needed to pivot towards? And why is it viewed as something which is urgent and important for the bank? Yeah, Dave, thank you for that question. So I think pivotal point happened last year. 
when DMB launched its sustainability strategy, which has very high and ambitious targets. And last year was when things really started happening in terms of the EU taxonomy regulation and the non-financial disclosure regulation deadlines approaching through the reporting year of 2022. And then I think that we start working together, people from data, people from corporate banking, people from markets. And we did realize the sheer amount of effort. So we started looking into the amount of data and type of data, type of insights that we needed in order to cover these regulatory needs, but also the dimension of the challenges that laid ahead for us in terms of developing technologically sound solutions that will scale up and will allow us to facilitate the rapid but reliable deliveries in months and years. So I think that there were two major decisions made last year. One was that we shouldn't have bilateral collection of ESG data with the conversations from our customers because that will be too costly and it will not lead to better quality data. So we had this kind of radical approach. We will buy from third parties who are specialists collecting this data. And we will also use public sources, which are already validated. And we are really lucky in the Nordics because Nordics are way ahead of many countries in Europe. So all the public services are digitalized, which means that we can get more reliable and timely data from public and governmental sources than from conversations from our customers. I mean, I find this absolutely fascinating. I've got a question about the data itself. I mean, everyone talks about the banks have lots and lots of data, you know, more data than they actually need, et cetera, et cetera, right? But my own experience is that aside from financial data, banks are very hesitant and use very little external data. So when you said you were using external data sources, is that almost like the first time or the largest use of external data that isn't financial for the bank? Or have you been doing this already in other places? Well, we have already been using external data for quite some years because we do have non-financial disclosures that we need to report on. So Pillar 3 is one of the reportings that we need to provide to the financial authorities in Norway, which basically gives us our license to operate, right? right. So it's not only financial data we have been using. We are moving more from a society and governance focus because obviously KYC and AML activity has been there all this time. Yeah. Corruption cases and all this data, we have been using internal and external data for some time. And I guess now sort of the non-financial disclosure regulation is focusing way heavier on climate and also biodiversity. So all these aspects are going to be incorporated into non-financial disclosures. So I guess that's where the difference, the biggest difference is because we don't have that data, right? And the regulators are asking for material evidence. It's not enough if you have a recycling program, right? That's probably not material in terms of tackling the climate change and and, uh, global biodiversity issues. The materiality will uh, be manifested on what kind of companies you are financing and how fast you actually reduce your third scope emissions, for example. 
And that data is really hard to come across. Yeah. Right. So it's also one of the reasons why we are using that series of approaches. We're not only using third party data providers, we are also working with clusters of researchers. Recently, we have been in conversations with Ocean Hub, which is an initiative uh, the ex-managing director of Microsoft Norway now is the CEO of Ocean Hub, Kimberly Matheson, a fantastic lady. This Ocean Hub is also to accelerate the collection analysis and leveraging of ocean data for securing our future, right? Yeah. So we might also use data from NGOs in different ways, of course. And we need to be extremely careful that the data is sound and impartial. What I find fascinating is that you decided on this data-first approach. I mean, certainly one of the things that I've realized as I've researched what is going on in terms of climate change and how banks are facing off the climate change is that measurement and reporting is one of the biggest issues that industry faces. So there isn't like-for-like comparisons or apples-for-apples, as they call it, in terms of the way people are kind of looking at things. So for me, when I met you, I was like really interested in the fact that what DMB has done is decided that data is going to be a key driver. First off, it's a great way to kind of start. But the other thing I think which is really interesting is that as you make sense of what's coming in from the EU and people like the UNFI in terms of regulations and targets, you're able to start building that into your data set, which means that the output is going to be a lot more useful for end users, be they internal to DMB or potentially some of your customers as well. So it's really interesting. Why did you decide that this was the right approach to take? Because to your point, the world is moving on and there's a move away from the S&T aspects to the E side of things. Why was data seen as the big foundational pillar? We have mainly two types of climate risks, you know, physical risk, and just consider that a great majority of our portfolio is real estate, right? Right. It's just the most robust part of our portfolio. So we need to make sure that our offense towards physical climate risk, which is going to actually affect the pricing of the properties is not only the loss of property, because for that we have insurance, and insurers are also having their own challenges there. It's, it's really about fluctuations on the price from climate incidents. So basically, if the regulatory body considers that we are not mitigating our risks substantially, we might actually be forced to allocate more capital, which means that we're going to be losing money on our side because we cannot actually make that money work for us, right? We need to set it aside. Right. So this is one example of how ESG is not longer a feel-good exercise. It is actually a matter of survival for financial institutions. Now you see the Securities and Exchange Commission have already started with their own version of the EU taxonomy. Which means that, yes, the markets and the companies who are based in North America are going to be equally requested to look into these ESG data points and report on them. And a lot of the pressure also comes from investors and stakeholders. So it's going to be an increasing pressure for DMB and other banks to provide reliable data and not to be exposed, for example, to greenwashing accusations 
this is a huge blow. I mean, you see already Deutsche Bank already applied for several locations, but now it's also coming back again. And this has a huge impact on basically one of the biggest currencies we have, which is our customers' trust, right? Yes. And greenwashing is going to come from many different directions. We need to have material, factual data, so that we actually are able to provide transparency and we hold the trust of our customers. It sounds like you've done an immense amount of work already. Would you say, this is an unfair question, but I'm going to ask it anyway, that you believe that you're ahead of the curve compared to other banks? I'm a big fan of DMB because I've seen a lot of innovation from what I would regard as a small bank. I know you're big in the country, but in the grand scheme of things, you know, 2 million customers is a smallish bank, right? But over the last, I would say, the 15, 20 years that I've come across you guys, you've always been ahead of the curve on stuff. Are you ahead of the curve on ESG? Well, I can give you some factual data about this, right? I think that's <laughs> much better than my own claims. Yeah. I have to say, this year in quarter one, we released our annual report, and this was the first time that was due best of effort green asset ratio reporting under the EU taxonomy regulation. And the EU regulators were extremely upset by the fact that I think a very large proportion of Greek numbers, but I would say maybe 80 to 90% of the companies did not disclose green asset ratio. They just did some estimates. So we were one of the few banks that actually reported full eligibility. And in addition to eligibility, we actually reported alignment for the part of our portfolio that we were really sure that were aligned. And this was something that a lot of banks did not do this time around. So I would say we're on a good start. It's not a guarantee. The race has just started. And this is definitely a marathon and not a sprint. <laughs> so <laughs> we have good cards to start with. One of the things I'm really interested in all of this is what you don't want is this exercise to become an exercise in generating lots more carbon through more technology and all the other bits and pieces. So I wondered if there's sort of some lessons that you've learned that you perhaps would be okay to share with us, because in all of this, we've got to find more efficient ways of doing things. Collaboration and learning from other people is a great way to do it. So are there any sort of aha moments that you'd be prepared to share? I consider myself extremely lucky where I can use my time, my intellect, my experience on a course that I strongly believe in. But of course, as an individual, it's very difficult to know how can I really support this course. And I had an extremely interesting conversation with, not strangely enough, an asset manager in DMV. And his opinion was that as an individual, it's not through recycling or not even through votes that you have the biggest impact. As an individual, you have the biggest impact by actually actively redirecting your pension towards sustainable activities. Right. And I thought that was absolutely fascinating thing because that's your biggest capital. And a lot of the times your pension, you don't even care about your pension. I mean, especially young people, but this trend is changing. Now we have seen increasingly younger and younger adults between 20 and 30 who are actively managing their pension funds now. So this notion that people don't care about their pension anymore, that's changing. And they're actively redirecting this 
to sustainable long-term companies who are actively working on, for instance, decarbonizing, creating energy technologies and other activities that are helping towards the climate. So I find that information absolutely fascinating. And I think it's also a possibility for many financial institutions to position themselves in respect to this area, because I think it's perceived as boring, but it has a tremendous impact. And a lot of people just let their employees to manage the fund and they don't actively take any decisions on it. And they might as well just be some coal companies, <laughs> right? Without knowing. And this also may affect negatively their pension in the future. I mean, think of transition risks, right? Yeah. So that was something that I found extremely interesting. Amazing. The ESG Data Hub is one of the big initiatives that DMB is doing. What are some of the other climate-related initiatives that the bank is engaged with as well? Absolutely. So I think we have record high numbers in green bonds that we've been issuing. So I think DMB is very proud to be one of the biggest leaders in the issue of green bonds lately. And we also do brokerage to ensure funding for green activity. We recently also launched our new Green Loads Framework, which is, at some extent, reconciled or is very compatible with the EU taxonomy. So I think that the challenges that will come um, now on, it will be really sort of leverage that framework and increase our upper margins in terms of identifying these green or golden nuggets and the different segments, because we found out that our biggest potential for our green asset ratio is actually not on the largest companies, but is on the medium, medium large companies. Right. And those, they need quite a lot of help in terms of understanding their ESG scores. They will have to report them also. So I think DMB has, as part of its plans to help this segment to sort of take off when it comes to transitioning and also to increasing their green activity. One last thing I have to say, we have been undergoing a massive re-education of the entire corporate to ensure that our operational people are able to undertake these kind of conversations with our customers and have uh, be in a position to help them and advise them in the best possible way. We do have a lot of very good experts on the different industry sectors on the corporate side. And I think that the next biggest sort of challenge will be how to tackle the retail segment. And this is something that is going to hopefully come very soon. Fantastic. I mean, it sounds like you've got loads and loads going on in this space. So I'm going to ask another unfair question. So not just DNB, but what else do you think the financial services industry could be doing to help the ESG agenda? Wow. It's very interesting when you start measuring scope three, right? of companies that you realize it's not enough to just say, well, now I'm carbon neutral because you're scope one and two. You can always install some solar panels on your building and look fine. But when you look at your carbon shadows in scope three, you realize that the problem is really a lot of companies are exclusionary, right? They have an exclusionary approach. They say, well, we're just going to sell off our brand assets and we're done. But the problem doesn't disappear there. Yeah. Not like it magically disappears. You just pass it on to someone else and maybe some worse company or worse context. So keeping in mind the notion of scope three, I think we need to work closer 
all the way through the value chain, right? I mean, if you look just at the oil industry, oil industry has petrochemicals, it has energy, it has construction and transport, of course. So you need to work along all these different sectors and decarbonized activities that are leading towards all this. And it's extremely complex because we are so addicted to oil. It's basically every single part of our industrial economy, right? I mean, we use it for creating fertilizers, we create for making food, we're using it for transport, we're using it for construction, we're using it for energy. Making false teeth as well. So I'm just pointing at my <laughs> false teeth. <laughs> yes. So it has this huge impact. And so we need to work together with the different actors and try to decarbonize. And this is also a challenge for oil companies, right? They cannot just shift to another energy source. They need to work with their customers, actually. They need to have a pivotal, they need to pivot and to actually work with their customers. And this is not an easy thing. I just personally think that an exclusionary approach will not solve things. We need to actively work all the way down the supply chain. And I know we covered a lot of ground, but I just want to ask one other thing related to this. Typically, and I can see the competitive advantages of you doing some of this yourself as well, right? You do this properly, you mitigate your risk, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And there's clearly some opportunity in customers moving towards, you know, kind of more e-friendly products as well. So I can see the competitive advantage of doing it. But do you think that banks should be or are collaborating enough? You know, we can't have winners in climate, really. It's got to be all or nothing. Do we think the industry is doing enough together? Well, I can only answer for the Nordics. Historically, Nordic and Norwegian banks in particular have been very good at collaborating in order to develop common infrastructure. So we share the costs and we build infrastructure together and we compete on the service. This has been a traditional approach in Norway. So at least in the Nordics, I believe that that is much easier. Also, culturally, there may be less differences. This is something that could be a bit challenging in Central Europe due to very different types of services, politics, and culture as well. It doesn't mean that it cannot be possible. And I think where DMB is very active on joining different networks and different consortia that in order to share data and also to receive data. Recently, we joined PCAF, which is this initiative for carbon calculations. So, you know, by joining this, we also provide our data and then we also get access to baseline data on carbon emissions per sector and with different levels of granularity and accuracy. So I definitely see that as an imperative in the years to come. Things in the EU are taking a bit of time. For instance, this initiative called EFRAG, which is going to be this portal for actually sharing ESG disclosures. This is not going to come... I don't know, in a couple of years, at least. So in the meantime, I think we're trying to sort of get our house in order and try to identify low-hanging fruits for collaboration data exchange. And at any rate, I think that we are on a good track in Norway, at least. Fantastic. Well, listen, we've covered so much ground today. So thank you so much for joining us. It's been a really insightful and very in-depth conversation. And I've certainly learned an awful lot. 
my pleasure there. My pleasure. Thank you so much. I hope I wasn't too boring or verbose. I get too excited. So yeah, you're passionate about it. And seriously, we learned a heck of a lot out of this conversation. It's great that the bank has stepped forward to share their experience as well. So really, thank you so much. Fabulous. An absolute pleasure. Thank you for tuning in to Dave and Dan Demystify. We hope you join us next time and check back in the weeks ahead as we build our podcast vault on SoundCloud. Be sure to connect with Dave Wallace and Darmish Mystery on LinkedIn. And until next time, ciao and have a marvellous week. The Dave and Darm Demystify Show is a production of NMD Plus, London, Chicago and Austin, Texas.